What's up, everybody? Welcome to another live Modern Lending Podcast. This is going to be a really cool conversation. William Tesser, man, this guy's a legend. 30 years in the business. He's the president of Civic Financial. He joined in 2017. Previously, he was the president of three other mortgage companies, $35 billion under his belt. Also a top originator. He knows the game. He speaks the language. I love people who knows what it's like to get kicked in the face on a weekend trying to get loans. You know, he was a glass door, top CEO, Housing Wire Vanguard. Today, we're going to talk about private lending which most of you think is Uncle Rico's van giving out some hard money and the world of institutional capital. Let's kick it off with Bill Tesser. All right, dude. I wish we could be hanging out in person, man. Like this, this thing is fine. It's great medium, but it'd be fun just to hang out, man. Good to see you, dude. Good to see you too. I'm still working on the slide here at corporate. Uh, when I met you the first time, you remember that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we sat Elbridge down there, and he went flying through that thing. It was it was great. And we haven't built it here yet, but we're working on that. Well, so Bill, thanks for joining us. This is going to be a fun conversation. I think a lot of myths are going to be debunked. I think we're going to have a lot of good knowledge spread about our industry and lending in general. You've been in the trenches for a long time. You know the game back and forth. Um, give everybody uh, an understanding of what Civic Financial is, what they do, and your role there. Yep. So uh, thank you. Uh, before I do that, just kudos to you, Alec. I, listen, there's a, there's a lot of different ways people could have approached the pandemic, right? And without the conferences and all the normal marketing means you decided to push your message um, socially with video and your podcast. I've been a follower. Great job. And, and, and kudos to you and Lone Depot for that. Uh, it, Civic is uh, Wedgwood-owned uh, institutional private money lender. They've been around uh, for five years. It, today, we're a you know, going into the pandemic, we were a top three or four lender. I don't, I'm not hundred percent sure about those other three or four today. So call us a top three or four lender in the United States, uh, 20 plus, all, I think 22 offices uh, spread throughout and lend in most, I think 26 states, 300 employees. It was funny, Alec, when I was kind of like putting some of that stuff together in a lot of these podcasts or uh, Zoom calls that I do, oh, those yeah. numbers are impressive. And then I started thinking about Loan Depot and how many employees <laughs> you guys have and, and volume and, and spread and breadth. And it, you know, it, it, it was a gut check and a little humbling. But yeah, that's who we are today and proud of it. Awesome, man. Well, I, I want to talk about private lending. Um, it's a unique place in the market. It does a lot of good. It provides a lot of opportunity for people. It opens doors that were closed in traditional manners. Um, so what happened with private lending? I mean, we, we, the pandemic hit like the crisis, the major crisis of our lifetimes, another one rolled through. I mean, you and I were both there at the previous mortgage cycle crisis, and this is obviously a lot different, but it smells similar. And what happened to private lending? Yeah. So I think the first thing, everyone immediately compared it to the mortgage meltdown. And yeah, this was did. not a, a credit crisis no. at, at all. And and conventional had to deal with their own crisis, right? With servicing values and, and hedging margin calls and all the stuff centered around that. And it it thumped an awful lot of uh, mid-sized to big lenders in the space. And the ones that had the balance sheet and financial wherewithal got through it and others, you know, got sideswiped. On the, yeah. on the private money side, literally, Alec, what happened is on a Monday, a loan was worth 104. 
on the, uh, in Wall Street. And on Wednesday, with no rhyme or reason, the same Smith borrower, same FICO, same liquidity, same LTV was worth an 88. Oh. There were no bidders on that. And so ultimately, you know, people that were holding hundreds of millions of dollars of paper that had booked X amount of dollars of profit on their P&L uh, were, were posed with yeah, tens of millions of dollars of margin call. It was, it, it's devastating. Um, it, it, it wiped out 50% of our business, like literally the industry's business overnight. And so, yeah, so what do you do? Um, you either, you, you meet those calls and nope. you play another day. You try to negotiate out of some of that stuff that yep. doesn't work too well, or you close up shop and you, you've been following what's going on in social media and whatnot. You've seen an awful lot of people, um, do that. And, and so, yeah, it, it exposed, I call it like posers, right? Cause you can, yeah. a lender who lends money should have access to a lot of money. And we, <laughs> it's helpful. Yeah. And if you don't have access to money, you don't lend money, then you're not really a lender. And I think that, um, what happened there was a lot of people, they got exposed for that. So yeah, it was a, it was, it was an incredible time and time being over the last three months. Um, and I think it, ultimately forced that space, this private money space into three buckets. It, it, the people that uh, survive, they'll thrive, right? Large capital basis, good balance sheets. Uh, the ones in the middle that are trying to figure it out, they've been on pause. You see yeah. those, we're not lending mm -hmm. now, big furloughs, but we're gonna be back, trust us. And then people that are just no longer. The trust us when that's a hard one. I feel that's a hard space to be because you got to come back and earn that trust back. I've seen a lot of like in the non-QM space some people come back like we're back and we're like, we don't trust you because <laughs> we were holding the bag when you left. So I think there's a lot of that going to be, it's going to take some time. You know, it's funny because the, the question as an originator, you and I would ask if we were out there on the street and we came across a non-QM opportunity, we would say, what are your products? What are your price? How high a LTV? How low a FICO? What do you need to see? Now it's like, tell me a little bit about your capital base. Like what's <laughs> so your financial stability as a firm? Because nothing's worse than a company calling you and saying, we are ceasing all funding operations effective immediately. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it is, it is a loan professional's nightmare, not only for the corporation, but for the loan officer who's got that deal midstream and goes, Oh no, yep. you know, my integrity's on this deal. Um, it, so yeah, it, it's, uh, it's ugly. You to the you to the borrower, you to the AE, or to the uh, realtor, you yep. to the financial planner, and yep. all their ancillaries. Yeah, it's just, and they don't want to hear it. No, no, no. I trust you. Yeah. Don't, don't tell me about you know ABC non QM or BPL company. So, yeah. so, what was Civic's response to the pandemic? You know, Bill, how did you navigate through it? What what? And and by the way, I know we're still in it, but I think some of the darkness is is behind us. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, your thoughts. How did I'm Civic do this? View on that, I, I do think it's it's more in the rearview mirror and making sure that we're mindful of the wake of stuff that's behind us, as opposed to like front facing. Uh, so I, I, we in, we implemented a continuity plan that was like ninety percent of our employees uh, work from home. Now, now you know, just from an IT perspective, when you think about first first responders, when this is all done, we should celebrate IT for allowing all our AEs to be able to operate because that they're the heroes founders of the mortgage world. And I think you'd agree with me on that. So setting people up and, you know, uh, account executives and loan officers, we've gotten a little bit, um, 
needy uh, from the times that you and I first started doing this. And so they need yeah. double screens, right? And they would like to have a printer in case they need to kill a tree. And, and so we had to set everyone up that way. And our IT team did an incredible job on that. So that was number one. And we did it. Um, I think we have 99 and a half percent of our workforce. Anybody that isn't with Civic were performance issues related to originations, not operation issues. So, you know, lending uninterrupted was a big thing. And you would say, well, you're a lender. You should do that. Well, I know, but it, there was a lot of things you had to navigate. And so the continuity plan, continuing lending with all of our products was super important. Establishing yeah. new fake-out and financing arms in Wall Street. We talked earlier, Alec. Yeah, uh, yeah. One of my strengths is I, I got very, very strong relationships on Wall Street. And so I'd say 50% of my time was in and around that, making sure we're aligned with proper takeout and financing options so we could con continue to offer the products and channels that we were offering uh, in the marketplace without a hitch. And well, I want you to unpack that because this is an angle not, not many people get to, get to have. Yep. You know, what was happening in Wall Street during, this during that time, which was so close, so, so like not very long ago, <laughs> like what was happening? Yeah, for, for all you football fans, uh, it was a big Heisman to anyone that needed financing or needed someone to buy financing. That I mean, that's really what it was. And they had to figure out. So if 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 Bill Tesser Financial is dealing with a $10 million problem and Alec Funding is dealing with a $100 million problem, Wall Street was dealing with billions of dollars of problems, yeah. right? And so they were, they were dealing with aggregators that couldn't meet margin calls. They were yeah. dealing with warehouse lines that were getting swept. They were dealing with serious liquidity issues. And so they didn't want to hear about Bill Tesser's loan that was approved and we're trying to figure out a way to fund it. They, that was like, there was a non-conversation. And, and I think what they needed to do was they needed to figure out which big aggregators were going to survive and how they were going to work around that, that economic exit, which ones weren't and and how punitive that was going to be if they were sweeping accounts and they had to sell that paper and what that was going to look like. And then, um, and then when they were going to reemerge. And so what I, where I think they are today is I think that all of that identification is done. They know who's making it. They know who has a good chance and they know who's, who got shot. And yep. so that's been determined. And I think those paper pools have been traded they're trading in the mid nineties. We could talk about that in a second. Yeah. They're starting to reemerge. So we're seeing people that are saying, Hey, let's talk about the one year bridge product again. And that's coming back. And so I'm, I'm very enthusiastic about what third quarter going into fourth quarter looks like from a wall street perspective. And they're getting to go back to work in July. You know, New York was just crushed from a number perspective and, and we know a lot of big, big players that are migrating back into their, you know, wave response. You know, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a tangent, but it just, it's just wild, the adaptation happening right now. And it's so self-evident the companies that, have, that can adapt and evolve are the ones thriving and winning right now. And the ones that really struggle with that are, are just frozen, non-existent. You know, and it's, it's, it's wild to me what's going on. So I want to hear about... What other types of lenders are in your space right now? Who's out there in private money? Who, what's, what's the world look like? What's the landscape? Yeah, and so look, I want to be very careful. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna block it into four different segments. Okay, yeah. I'll start with uh, the large, larger aggregators like like a Civic. 
Okay. Was, uh, <laughs> doing uh, $100 million a month in volume and having multiple outlets in Wall Street that they could either sell at a pass-through, sell at a premium, or securitize. Like, By the way, I just need to make the comment. I know you, you were joking earlier about like you know scale and size. The first time I realized that Civic was doing $100 million a month in private lending, I, it, it blew my mind because I just, I was so in my lane. I wasn't, you know, I don't pay attention. I'm just, and, and all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, that is a lot of, of people that you're, you're providing loans to. Especially since Loan Depot does a hundred million on a Tuesday. <laughs> but, yeah. but, but on the private money side, Alec, you're right. We, 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 we do a lot of volume and listen, we, um, our whole thing is quality, quantity, consistency. We get a lot of looks. Yeah. A lot more than a hundred million, and a hundred million gets through the you know the small little snake and out the back door, and and yeah, so uh, we're certainly proud of that. There, there's going to be uh, four or five of those nationwide that yeah, probably, bigger players. Yeah, that that emerge, and then from that, uh, then the next is you know I called them posers. It, posers is probably a little aggressive on my part, but well, <laughs> let's just say they're susceptible to market swings where products can come in and out. Based on balance sheets or liquidity. Yes. Right? So let's just, that, that's probably a very politically correct way to say it. Yeah. Smaller to mid sized range lenders. I do think it's important just for everyone to know who you're working with because you've got so many people depending on your professional guidance. And so yep. I think that's the second group. The third group you and I teased about are the country club lenders. And so many people. Uh, have done what we do. And then when they retire, they've accumulated a little bit of wealth and then they want to put that back into the market. And they're, you know, 50, 60% LTV, uh, 11 to 13%, four or five points. They know the area. They'll go drive by, quick look, drop docs. You're done in three, four days. And you pay for what you get. And you joked it's Joey, you know, Joey yeah. Gallo down there in the, in the Bronx. <laughs> and if you don't pay, you're going to meet his brother Vito. So... <laughs> They, they're and I'll tell you what they have kind of reemerged because as everyone's rates jacked back up because there was no value, they started actually seeing some more activity and good for them. They've been around a long time, basically started hard money, private money, and then the last one are the fund managers, and those are those are groups or guys that go and raise a hundred or two hundred million dollars. They got it, they set up a guideline, and then they lend, and then when it gets full. They have to go raise some more money, and 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 I, I think you see a little bit more of those those groups in or around there. Um, so uh, yeah, I think that's the four. Okay, and how do you think? How do you see those four evolving? I mean, I, I think, think there's a go, there's a runway forward, and you kind of said it too. Like you're looking forward at Q3, Q4, and I know a lot of us are. Like I'm, I I kind of want it to be 2021 a little bit. <laughs> Just like hey, my kids go back to school, please. But like, you know, you, you bucketed these four groups, you know, how do you see them, at, uh, you know, from a market share perspective or a growth perspective, kind of moving forward? Where are they going? I see it a lot like I see your space. Like I, you and I, we, we joked about a year ago about the winter of death. Yeah. And uh, and I still in my heart of hearts believe that's coming. I believe it's 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 coming on the conventional side where. Yep. The mid-size players that have that are operating on a shoestring are going to either become smaller brokers or they're going to they're going to align themselves with bigger companies like Loan Depot. So that's number one. Number two. Uh, and so on on our side, I think it's exactly the same thing. I mean, in lending, you have to have the ability to lend capital. <laughs> 
if you don't have capital backing, you're not a big lender. And so it's more important now than ever before. And I think it's also more important now from a Wall Street perspective, having mm -hmm. a fresh eyes on how people responded in a economic trauma situation. Did they make their margin calls? Did they have enough liquidity? Did they boost up their balance sheet? Did they answer the call or did they shut the door? So I, I, I think that's going to happen on our space. I think it's going to happen on your space. Agreed. I think the mid-size regional players that are kind of operating super tight, I think they're going to have to make a decision. Yeah. Um, either get smaller and just operate within their means and say who they are and act that way, or they're going to have to align themselves as a broker or go with a bigger firm. I think the country club lenders will be here long after our children are, are yeah. grown up and gone. They're never yeah. going away. No. And I think fund man managers will not thrive, but survive because there's a marketplace for new oncicle type of lending that maybe Wall Street's not buying. So I want your perspective on this topic. It's, it's semi-related, but you know, it's in the space. And all, I know a lot of the financing you guys provide goes to investors um, that are flipping property that are, you know, th that are real estate investors, you know, short-term financing options. They're going to do whatever they're going to do with their property. They may make it a long takeout later. And, and so what's your unique perspective on the flip market? Because it's, it, there's, there's a huge, I mean, I was just talking to a group in New Jersey this morning of realtors and it's, there's no, there's, there's no supply. They're, they're in multiple offer situations. It's just wild. And that's like that across the country. There is not enough homes. So how do you see the flip market evolving? What's going on there with investors and housing? I, I think the flip market opportunity is huge. Um, mm. So we started by saying that Wedgwood is a parent company of Civic. Wedgwood is the largest purchaser, fix up and flipping company in the nation. They have purchased, fix up and flipped just under 50,000 properties. Their run rate's about 4,000 a year. You, When you were here, you got to yep. see upstairs and how they operate. Um, here's what I will tell you. I'll, I'll talk to you about the sell side first, and then I'll go to the buy side. On the sell side, we have um, about 1,800 homes in various different stages of on the market. Wow. We're, we're trading at 102 to 104% of list price, over list. Got it. Multiple offers, no concessions. For first time buyers and then the step up buyers, okay? So we don't see any massive real estate, we don't see any depreciation whatsoever in that space, none. The bigger stuff, so out here in the South Bay, right? The average, yep. you can't find a you can't find a scrape for three million. So right. um, out here, the bigger stuff, maybe you know, I said it was seven to ten percent. It's probably three to three to seven percent, and that's just because some of those people are looking at just you know, it was a, it was a flip there, so they're getting out of it. So I, I think that market gets hit a little bit, but the market no one's talking about is the I buy market. And so you yeah, no, actually, I, I've seen articles say, you know, well, first of all, they kind of, everyone wants to crap on the iBuy market, you know, in real estate, because they feel like they're coming after their cheese. And so I watched a lot of real estate publications and a lot of people kind of like, oh, look, they're out. They stopped buying. They, they left. They disappeared, you know, and, and I was like, well, nah, I think they're just kind of waiting to see what happens. <laughs> I don't think go anywhere. I would love your take on the iBuyer because I think it's going to be a significant portion of, real, of how deals are done in the future similar to how people turn in their cars when they want the new one. And I, I love your perspective on this. Yeah, so the bigger iBuyers, like the biggest in the space, actually use Wall Street or use uh, Wedgwood as an outlet. And so I'll, I'll talk about that, right? They're, they're, the basic model of iBuy is it's a tech play. These aren't real estate pros. Nope. These are 
these are tech pros that have access to a lot of capital on Wall Street, lots of capital, and they've created a really neat engine that in their mind, they're going to find low CapEx properties where people have to exit quick, paint and carpet, back on the market, make small little margins plus whatever yep. the 3% they saved on one side of the real estate transaction. The problem with that, Alec, is it hasn't worked that way. First of all, like, so like even uh, one of the biggest without naming a name, they, they take in 35,000 I buy opportunities uh, a month. And out of the 35,000, they'll transact on about a thousand of them. And the other 29,000 were either out of the areas, the price was too big, the CapEx was too high. So what we've seen at Wedgwood is we've seen that go to us. They have a pipe that comes right to us so they can offer those people uh, yep. a price that they could transact in. Those big iBuyers have a backlog of real estate that they're underwater. And so they were they were buying and trading to like a 92, mm. meaning like eight, maybe eight points. I think they're going to have to re-emerge on the market somewhere in the mid 80s to meaning if you found a property that was worth 100,000 you got to buy it for 85,000. Exactly. Yep. Yep. 92. And so I think they're 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 not gone. They're just going to have a different model and there's a backlog of those those properties that I believe from a flip standpoint they're going to have to they're going to have to unload. And they're going to unload at a loss and and then the 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 flippers in the world are going to have an opportunity to grab some of those properties at a loss and and transact. Um, and and, I, and I'll tell you, I we're we're not seeing a slowdown for a fix and flip opportunities. And I was a little skeptical about what tomorrow would look like. Yeah. I'm not seeing it. Uh, our our flippers, yeah, the interest rates are a little higher, Alec. Sure. A little bit more money for money, but they're also getting a little bit better deal. They're turning their their real estate a little bit quicker, and so they're yeah. making it up in some of the other line items uh, on their ROI analysis. Well, with the demand out there, they're probably picking it up on the sale more than they probably ever did because the value, there's not a lot of homes to buy. Well, you know, and then off the heels of that, so look at, at Civic, when we make a decision to lend money, we, we're lending based, believing that that person's going to pay that loan on time as agreed. And when the loan is due, they're going to pay us off and, and we're going to go on. And that doesn't always happen. No. Like point, uh, just under a percent of the time, that loan will go down it'll go in a default, it'll go through REO and we'll take it back, right? Mm -hmm. That's just, that's the reality. And we're, because of our association with Wedgwood, we're very, very good at foreclosure and REO and we're not as afraid of that. But here's the interesting thing. Our REO is flying off the shelf. Yeah. Like I had an asset management meeting before this call and we've never seen the multiple interest and calls pre-sale like we're seeing right now, never, ever before. So I, I think the market opportunity is huge. Um, and, you know, for those that survive and thrive, uh, wow, you know, tip the cap to all of them, right? Yeah, I mean, I think we're entering into an unprecedented time for lending. I, I, I think that one of the tipping points in our world is going to be the Quicken IPO. Um, as a benchmark set for what the what the industry is worth and how the valuations are set and all that stuff. And I think as lenders um, with this rate environment that we're going to see for a long time, um, I think it's going to be one of the most unprecedented opportunities um, that any of us could ever had in our lives. It, it, it's funny because uh, if you go look at your LO base right now, how many LOs do you have? Oh my gosh. Across the country on our whole platform? Yeah, over a thousand, right? Over oh, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. So 
if you look at them and then you just look at the the length in the business, you can this will apply to a, a portion of them. But what I hear over and over again from loan officers or A's is I'm so busy. I've never had more loans. I don't know where I go, hey buddy, gal, enjoy it. It doesn't this is not normal. I know it's been normal for four, five, six years, or two more years, whatever. It's not normal. So just enjoy it. Get market share. Love your customer, customer for life. Make sure you're nurturing your database because rates will not always be at zero. I mean, they're going to go up. In the interim, where your market is right now, I think conventional lending is saving the real estate market. I think the rates are so low. Like you will pay more for a piece of real estate because the rates are so low that the economics make sense if it's a long-term play. Yep. hundred percent. The buying power gets goes every time the rates go down, the buying power goes up. It's unbelievable. I don't and, know. And we also find ourselves in, in, in the United States today where there's more equity in homes than there's ever been in the history of our country. So we have, we have equity, we have really solid, some can argue too tight, you know, guideline restrictions. So we're lending really strong paper to people. On, you know, fully documented, all the stuff's buttoned up, QA'd 17 times over, and, and rates are in the twos. It's it's bananas. How is that even, like, my God. <laughs> Doing the math, if anyone just gets a mortgage calculator on, you know, how much do I qualify for, oh. you start playing the games with the interest rate, every single person that plays that game goes, oh, my God, I could buy so much more home than I ever thought I could buy, and they become part of the new market. So, well, and the other stuff on this bill that's incredibly cool is debt consolidation. I mean, everyone, like we live in a culture of like maxed out credit cards. I hate to say it, but we live in like that kind of culture. And all of a sudden they go, wait a minute, I can take all this high interest. I'm saving like 2000. I'm seeing people save like $2,000 a month. That's real cash. Like that's, that's, a, that's a life-changing amount of money per month for some families. Yeah, and if it's under the 750 threshold for uh, interest deduction on your home, then it's now it's tax deductible as well. I mean, there's a, there's a big play there. Well, so Bill, I want to pivot a little bit because you've been in lending a long time. You've managed big firms, big, big on the conventional side, on, on the private side. Um, and I love this conversation, this question, because a lot of the people that watch this are mortgage professionals, sales professionals, and I love to give them um, perspective. And so I would love you to share yours. And so if you're sitting there, um, which you do now and you've done before and you've got loan officers in front of you, let's say you've got a brand new one who's never been in the business before and you've got a 30-year vet and they're looking for you for advice right now. They're saying, hey, Bill, you've done a ton. You've been around. You know a lot. Man, what should we be doing with our careers right now, our businesses? What strategy should we be doing? What advice are you going to give these people? So I would say two things. Number one, um, my entire career, I, I would boil down origination to two parts. You are building your database through new customers and you are nurturing your database and making sure nobody else ever has an opportunity to work with them. So no matter what, every day of the week and twice on Sunday, if you only remember two things, those are the two most important things you could remember as an originator. And then I think today, I don't. it doesn't matter how long you've been in the business, you need to be chips all in. You need to be just all in. You're going to have plenty of time to go and watch Netflix and, oh, and CrossFit it. and all the other crazy stuff that we all do all day, every day. Chips all in. Trust me, 5% is coming back. 7% is possible in the future. We're not staying at these rates forever. So no, no matter what, chips all in. 
And, you know, I joke with our guys, you know, this is no practice life. We get like one shot. And like for me, I'm closer to the end than the beginning. So the idea of kind of wallowing through my day with mediocrity in my mind, it's just not I'd rather just retire and, you know, call it a day. But, you know, you said a great point and I want everyone to hear it. Like when the fish are swimming, you got to you got to be fishing. And when right now the opportunity is all around you and your your chance is unprecedented to grab it and hold on. And then I would give people two pieces of advice to complement what Bill said. Number one, save your money. Save your money, invest it wisely, because right now it's, it's so tempting, especially if you're a younger originator and you're like, oh, my God, I'm crushing it right now. I'm making more than I've ever made in my life. And you're, and you're buying dumb stuff. <laughs> like, just don't like save your money because this does not happen all the time. And then the second thing is, man, work as hard as you want right now because now's the time. I mean, chips all in, Bill. You nailed it. Now is the time to work as hard as you possibly want because all of it is, is yours. Um, and the last thing I'd say is um, don't forsake the new skills. You know, I think COVID has a silver lining. And the silver lining was it pushed a lot of people into new skills. Because the things we used to do to originate and build influence, we couldn't do anymore. And now all of a sudden, we realize, hey, I've got to get online. Hey, I've got to build digital community. Hey, I've got to figure out this camera thing and this lighting thing. And I got to figure out how to make impact. Um, and, and right now you're getting loans and they're falling from the sky. But do not forsake learning new skills because this too shall pass. We'll be back in a more normal world, who knows when. And if you don't focus the time on the new stuff that's gonna take you to where you wanna go, you'll be left behind. So Bill, that was really good advice, dude. Let me, let me do this. Um, what states are you in, Bill? What's civic, remind everybody. Because well, I, I wanna say this, you, you've been a tremendous partner for us at Lone Depot. Like you. a tremendous partner, like the way you guys operate, the, the professionalism, the talent you guys have, and the solutions your products provide is, is really important because we watched a lot of people, a lot of companies whose product lines got thinner during COVID because there was risk and forbearance. And now we have overlays and restrictions because we're like, oh my God, we're catching knives here. Is this person going to go into forbearance? I'm going to be stuck with the bag. And you guys have continued to drive a um, creative product that have helped tons of people that don't fit the box. And so what states are you in? So people that are watching this in the past or in the future um, can... Uh, they can find out how to connect with you guys. Yeah, so Western United States, and we've added a few, so I, I won't be exact, but like North <laughs> Carolina, Pennsylvania, J Jersey coming, uh, Tennessee, Atlanta, mm, DC-ish area. And I think it's on our website too. It uh, is, it is. Yeah. So, so Bill, leave everybody with this. Um, what would you tell somebody who, for them, and they're watching this, it's their first exposure to to private capital. They, they just, they don't know what it is. It's their first exposure. What do you, what do you tell those people? How do you, what's your elevator pitch for what you do? Let's leave everybody with that. Okay. So we said early institutional private money. What does that really mean? It's short-term bridge capital. Uh, we also do some, some longer-term rental for people that don't qualify for um, uh, conventional financing. It's all non-owner occupied business purpose loans. So we're not subject to a whole bunch of this stuff that we've been subject to on the conventional side. Uh, it, it's generally speaking eight and a half to 10 and a half rates, depending on the borrower. It's not FICO driven. It's There's no tax returns involved. Uh, reserves are three, four months type of thing. It's, it's really more, I got a borrower, it doesn't fit the conventional box. I need to solve a short-term issue and, and off you go. Um, I think what I would do, Alec, and we've aligned a few of our AEs with your branches, yeah. is I would just recommend that they, through their managers, get in touch. And then we'll 
through Zoom, we could do a, you know, 15, 30 minute presentation of products, price and, yeah. and, and process. Well, no, and that overview was helpful. I just, there's so many opportunities that you guys is provide, that you guys provide. And for, for sales professionals <clears throat> in the local community, knowing the arrows you have in your quiver, knowing what you can offer people to be that subject matter expert, to be that resource is huge. And what Civic comes along is provides, uh, fills a lot of holes in the armor and provides a lot of good for a lot of people. And you're just, and you're a wonderful partner and they're really lucky to have you at the helm there, man. Cause you, 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 you know, thank you for that. Appreciate All right, that. Friend, family guys. Um, we're wrapping down. Look, if this, if this added value, or if you're watching this in the future, uh, hashtag bypass comment, hashtag bypass. If you're watching this in the future, I want to know, I want to connect with you guys like subscribe, share. I appreciate you guys. We'll see you next week on the next episode of the modeling podcast. Bill. See you thank brother. you. Talk to you soon.